You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Tell someone beside you, across from you, the title of my sermon this morning, You Belong to the Body. You belong to the body. Amen. Well, a very happy Thanksgiving from us at Plus Life to everyone here. We have some new faces, some old faces who've come and visited us, and uh, definitely thankful, grateful that you have come and joined us for our Thanksgiving um, uh, service. And also, I'm sure as you've heard, our Thanksgiving lunch. Uh, apparently, well, I've, I've saw, I saw the food back there. Uh, I'm ready. I don't know about you all, but I am, I am ready. Um, but yes, we, it is Thanksgiving, and in, 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 in light of Thanksgiving, we have been uh, doing sort of a mini-series here at church called You Belong. It's a You, it's a you Belong series, and we are we're celebrating the reality of belonging to the family of God. And where this concept really came from, and this desire to, to put a series like this together, is really the, 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 the hallmark picture of Thanksgiving. And I'm sure all of us here have seen it at one point or another, but it's that picture of the pioneers and the, and the, the, the Native Americans coming together to share a meal in, in harvest, right, in this Thanksgiving season. And, and apparently that's the start of Thanksgiving in, in, that, in, in that time where the pioneers and the Native Americans came together and shared a meal. And despite their different cultures, despite their different languages and traditions and, and, and how they did things, they came together to share this one meal united as, as a people. And that picture is essentially what we read in our passage just now, where, where whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or a free or a slave, God has, God has done this amazing work of bringing people together to be part of his family, to be part of this body of Christ. And um, as we mentioned last week, our, our salvation, our adoption to the family of God is, this, is the greatest subject of our thanksgiving. To, to the greatest subject in which we can be grateful for. And more than our, our material goods in this life, more than our possessions, more than our house, more than our car, more than our jobs, it's, it's, it's us being once lost and now found, once being blind but now see, and once being a slave and now a son. And as a son, we are part of the family of God. There is, listen, there is more unity in the family of God, in the church, than there is in that hallmark picture of the pioneers and the natives coming together. Because, listen, it's not just our, our humanity that unites us, or, or, or the food that we're going to eat later on, but it's, it's, or even the common goods that we have, or the wealth, or the, the likes and the interests that we have, that's not what unites us. As we see from our passage, what unites us is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that is afforded by the Son of God at the cross and is, is given to us by the will of the Father. And so the hope for us this morning in the sermon is, is that as we celebrate Thanksgiving is to not just remind us of what we should be thankful for in terms of material goods or this past year and, and the success or the health or, or for some maybe the survival of this past year, but Really, these spiritual truths, these realities of being part of the family of God, of being part of the body of Christ, belonging to the body of Christ. My hope is that we would be reminded that 
if we are a believer today, if we, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ today, that you belong. You belong to the family of God. You are part of the family of God. You are loved. And as we'll see in our passage, you have a place and you have a purpose. In a world where everybody is looking to belong and, and, and everybody is looking for some sort of relationship, some, 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 some sort of community to belong to, and, and oftentimes they're finding it in the wrong places, as we know, this, this love that God has for us that, that predestined us to be part of his family, to, to belong to him, that should be something that we are absolutely grateful for, that, that we should celebrate even today, that we should be thankful for. So again, the hope in the sermon is to remind you the, the, the value of being in the family of God, being part of the body of Christ, that you, that you would be reminded of your value specifically in the body of Christ and the value of others in the family of God to stir up, to stir up that gratitude, to stir up that thankfulness and praise to our God for what he has done. And really, that's what Paul is doing in our passage in, in this morning, Corinthians. See, some context, we talked about this a little bit last week, but to bring everybody up to speed, some context to Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. He's writing to a divided church. This church in Corinth was going through a really uh, bad season of division and uh, disunity. They were divided over sin. Some people were, some people were, were letting some, some certain sins in their church community go without rebuking it. And they were divided over status. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 how when they came together to eat food, similar to what we're going to be doing after this, the service, there's, there's people who would go hungry while others ate to their, to their fill. And they were divided over which teachers they followed, which apostles they followed. And there's these, as mentioned last week, there was these apostles, these super apostles were promoting themselves to be better than Paul and promoting these, these, uh, these spiritual gifts. And, and even that, they were divided over spiritual gifts. Some put emphasis on some gifts over some other gifts. And as a result... There is this great division and even devaluing of others that happen in the Corinthian church. So in this division, in this context of division, Paul comes in with his great rebuke. Be united. Strive for unity. And how Paul does this, how, how Paul pushes these Corinthian uh, members to unity is to remind them that they are part of the body of Christ. Last week, we looked at, we looked at the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the reminder of spiritual gifts and how every single one of us who are believers, who, are, who has the Holy Spirit, has been given a, a spiritual gift. And again, a spiritual gift is simply an ability that can be empowered by the Holy Spirit for the use of ministry and the, and the service of the family of God. That's what a spiritual gift is. Any ability that the Holy Spirit can use to minister and serve the body of Christ. Last, this past uh, life groups, we did uh, spiritual gifts inventory with, with our, our, our members there in our, in, our, in our small groups. And it's interesting to hear some of the, the, the spiritual gifts that, that people had. And, and I expect that they would use, uh, you know, moving forward. And uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it's really encouraging to see the differences in which the Holy Spirit has gifted every single one of our members. 
So now Paul uses this topic of spiritual gifts as a platform to convey this unity, this harmony that ought to be in the body of Christ. Look at verse 12 with me again in our passage. Um, Chapter 12, verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This is where the analogy of the body of Christ comes comes from, right? This body metaphor that that Paul is using here. And in verse 13, Paul says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, I I think we can often read this, this verse and sort of just skip on into the next part, but there's eternal value and truths here in this one verse alone that we can Unpack for for in ages for an entire series, but just very quickly, let, let's let's break this down because there are two two concepts here that that Paul describes that are I think very important for us to understand where this unity in the Spirit is coming from. He talks about first and foremost the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So unpack, let's unpack this a bit. The, what's, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the original Greek is baptismo on numo. Enuma, rather, baptizo on Numa. And this idea, this concept is mentioned six other times in the New Testament. The four out of four of those six other times is in the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's referring to John the Baptist saying how that, some, that he baptizes with water, but somebody else is going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit, with fire. Look at Matthew chapter 3 with me. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. It says, I baptize, this is John the Baptist speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, talking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then in the other Gospels, there's a variation of this dialogue that John is speaking of. And the other two instances where this baptism of the Holy Spirit is referred to are both in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 11, and they're all referring back to the same instance with, with John the Baptist. Now, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, this is the work of the Holy Spirit at conversion, in that when one comes to faith, the Holy Spirit completely washes them of their sins, immerses that individual in Christ's righteousness, and dwells in them to be empowered to new life. Now, how did we get to there? Well, understand what the metaphor is. It's baptism. John the Baptist, again, said, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, comes baptizing you with the Spirit, comes baptizing with fire. Water baptism in the the New Testament times, during during Jesus' earthly ministry, was a a physical act symbolizing a foreshadow or foreshadowing of, of the washing away of sins, of the new life. People were coming to John the Baptist, not to be completely cleansed of their sins, but in that act of baptism, they were symbolically saying, okay, I'm, 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 I'm desiring to, to repent of my sins and live a new life. Now, of course, that's just water baptism in those days. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the reality of that foreshadow. It's the reality of that symbolism that John was doing in the desert. At conversion, when someone repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and completely washes away, cleanses away their sins. That's where the symbolism of fire comes in. Fire cleanses things. 
And in that process, the Holy Spirit immerses that individual in Christ's righteousness. Double imputation, we'll talk about that later. Now, not only that, similar to how in water baptism, it symbolizes the declaration of new life. Right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into the water, and I'm coming out, and I'm going to live a new life. I'm repenting of my old ways. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the reality in where the Holy Spirit empowers and indwells in the individual, giving them the ability to live a new life, to be a new creation. All of that happens during conversion. And only once, by the way. Because, again, there's our, there are some traditions that believe that the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is another occurrence. It needs to happen afterwards as well. And um, it doesn't come, uh, 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 there, there isn't a second baptism uh, during a prayer rally or later when a believer needs uh, some sort of spiritual pick-me-up or a fresh filling or even when the, 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 the prayer of a church leader um, prays for it and they manifest some sort of spiritual gift that we don't see that in Scripture. What we do see in Scripture in Acts chapter 2 is, is this, in, in, are these two, rather, not Acts chapter 2, but rather in Acts, two unique instances where the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles and the Gentiles for the first time because it had not happened in the past. And it's not meant to be repeated. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, is the work of the Holy Spirit at conversion in that when, it, when, when, when one comes to faith, the Holy Spirit completely washes away sin, forgives all sin, and immerses the individual in Christ's righteousness and dwells in, the, and dwells in them to, to be empowered to live a new life for God. Now, the second thing that needs to be discussed just from that one verse in verse uh, 13, again, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Drink of one spirit. I think this is important to discuss because uh, in addition to being baptized in the Holy Spirit, there are some who take this to mean being filled with the Holy Spirit and manifesting some sort of spiritual gift that resembles drunkenness. And then if, uh, if you've seen these before, where it's like you're, you're being drunk in the Spirit. They couple this verse actually with Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 where it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so they take that verse to mean, well, the Bible is telling us not to be drunk with wine, but rather be drunk with the Holy Spirit. And so they manifest physical attributes that are, 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 are very much similar to drunkenness. Well, what does the Bible say about drinking of this, the Spirit? What does it actually mean? Well, it simply refers to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at conversion, as we've already talked about. The bond in which we are, the, the, the filling in which we are securely united to the body of Christ. This drink metaphor, similar to when, when we do a toast at parties or celebrations, when, when a group drank from the same cup, it was symbolically saying, we are all in this together. If there is poison in this cup, we're all dying of poison. If, if there's no poison in this cup, we're, we're all living together. That's, that's a symbolism. Again, the symbolism that Paul's trying to draw out here is that of unity. We have all drank from the same cup of the Holy Spirit. And notice, we even see that example in the, in the scriptures at the Last Supper when Jesus passes around one cup. They were all drinking from this one cup, his disciples of this new covenant. 
All were made to drink of one spirit. Every believer at conversion drinks of the spirit, gets a full portion of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in the body of Christ. And, and I think that's an important note to make, an important distinction to make. It is a full portion of the Holy Spirit, not 50%, not 80%, right? It's not like a, your, your battery life, right? It's not like you're charging, whatever. It doesn't require us a, a, a second helping, a second dose, a second filling. And you have to understand why. There's great theological implications to this, why it's a full portion of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ's provision for salvation is perfect and complete, and that includes the giving of the full portion of the Holy Spirit. That's why. The Holy Spirit is what seals us for eternity. If it were not a complete portion, if we were not completely given the Holy Spirit at our conversion, it would imply that we are not completely sealed for eternity. It would imply that we are not completely united to the body and that it requires man's work, pastors, a minister, an evangelist's work, to seal us, to lay hands, to, to pray for the Holy Spirit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's not what is, what it, what's getting at here. Christ's provision for our salvation is perfect and complete. That includes the giving a full, a full portion of the Holy Spirit to us completely. Again, it's not what this, this whole being, a half portion of the Spirit is not what the Scripture is saying. That's not what it means to be filled by the Spirit. That's another topic that we can discuss in another time. But really, what it comes down to, church, brothers and sisters, is not, our problem is not the supply of the Spirit, it's our surrender to the Spirit. That's what it is. Our, our problem is not having more of the Spirit. We, the Scripture tells us that we have a full portion already. We have enough of the Spirit already. Our problem is, is, is not grieving the Holy Spirit. It's not quenching the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's, it's really surrendering to the Spirit. But again, that's another topic for another day. But what our passage does talk about and what we can be thankful for, be reminded what we can be thankful for today is, listen, we can be thankful for the place you have in the body. The place you have in the body. Because understand what, what the, the reminder or, or, or understand what the implication uh, that, of, of Paul's words are in this passage, right? Again, verse 13, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. First of all, as we've been talking about, you believer, if you're a believer in Christ today, you have been you have been completely and irrevocably washed of your sins. Forgiven, freed, uh, brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. Do not forget, the, the, as the lyrics go, the bliss of this glorious thought that our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That is to say that you have been completely washed and clean of all your past, present, and future sins. Completely forgiven. Not only forgiven, but declared righteous before a holy God. Again, that's what we call in, in theology, double imputation. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
What that means is this picture of Christ taking our sins onto himself as he hangs on the cross of Calvary. And then the, the exchange is that his righteousness is then imputed to us, credited to us. And if you're a believer in Christ today, again, you are not only forgiven of sin, but you are justified, declared righteous before a holy God. Not just, and it's not just this positional uh, sanctification, or this positional righteousness that the Holy Spirit entrusts to us, but also practically, because again, with the giving of the Holy Spirit, we are then empowered to no longer live for ourselves, but live for the one who died for us. We have been raised to new life with Christ. We are a new creation, according to Scripture. The Holy Spirit empowers us not just to be, be positionally declared righteous, but to live righteous in this life. To, to do the things of God, to do the will of God in this life. And listen, I don't, I'm not hearing any amens. I mean, I heard one, a couple of amens here, but this is amazing news, Right? This is amazing news that the wretched, depraved sinner, the, re the rebel against God, is now, now being redeemed, forgiven of sin. For the brother who struggles with lust, for the sister who, who struggles with the shame of her promiscuous past, for, for the one who is living out the consequences of their pride, the regrets of, 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 of their greed, the guilt of their rage and hatred. Listen. God no longer sees you by those sins. He sees you with the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as someone who is washed and cleansed with the righteousness of Christ. You are fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully received, fully loved by the holy God. You have, given a, you have been given a new life made into a new creation Unless you think this is some temporary experience, a temporary thing in this life, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit also means you have been signed, sealed, and delivered until the day of Jesus Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee that someday when we breathe our last breath here in this world, that heaven is waiting for us and a Savior is welcoming us home. That is the guarantee of the Holy Spirit that indwells in, in every believer in this room. Now, as great as all of these things are, and they, they are, are, are important things to be thankful for, understand also the purpose of why forgiveness takes place, why righteousness is, is imputed to us, why we are sealed for the whole, by, by the Holy Spirit for eternity. Understand what the purpose is for that. Paul says it in our passage, it's to take our place in the family of God, to be part of the body of Christ. Again, for, for verse 13, for in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All of that is for the purpose of coming into the body of Christ, being part of the family of God. You were baptized and made to drink of the spirit so that you could belong to the body of Christ, the church, the local church. Not so that you can do your own thing or focus on your own self or your, your own personal walk with Christ, as we talked about, started talking about last week, we are brought into the family of God so that we can serve the family of God. 
And understand the joy in all of this, being belonging to the family of God, that you don't have to do the Christian walk alone. You don't have to live this life in your, your spiritual walk alone. You have brothers and sisters to walk with you, to bear burdens with you, to support you, to pick you up when you stumble. Brothers and sisters who are going through similar struggles as you, listen, you don't have to do it alone. God has saved you and brought you into his family for this this specific purpose so that you can have community, so that you can belong. As we said last week, the world is also looking to belong. They're they're looking to to build communities and find relationships. but, But the bindings of those communities are so superficial. It's their, their love of sports or their profession or their, their sexuality and gender or even their love for anime, right? Korean dramas, whatever it is. And, and they base their identity, they base their community on those superficial things. They're these superficial hollow ties. But being bound together in the family of God, we are... We are bound not by these superficial things, but the Holy Spirit himself, the eternal God himself, the third person of the Trinity. That's a bond that doesn't fade, that lasts. That's a real lasting relationship, the community that lasts. There's, a dis, there's, 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 there's great security there. That despite our differences, as Paul describes in our passage, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're a slave or free, regardless of your backgrounds, you are bound together by the Holy Spirit. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should never take that for granted. And maybe you're, and listen, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh man, I'm bound to this individual here across from me, this brother or sister, ah, oh, brother Mark, ah, oh, goodness. Listen, you better get used to him. To that brother or sister that you are not too fond of in this life. Because listen, you're going to spend an all eternity with them. There ought to be love and unity in that. So be thankful for the place you have in the body. The place you have in the body. Secondly, we can be thankful for the position you have in the body. The position you have in the body. Look at verse 14 with me. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye and I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now, now lo- notice the, the line of thinking that, that Paul is bringing up here. It's sort of this talking up situation. I'm not like this brother or this sister in this gifting, so therefore I don't belong. There's, a, there's like an inferiority complex in that, that line of reason, reasoning and, and, and being expressed in that statement. And keep that in mind because the next passage, can, we can compare the, the next statement or sentiments. And as you see, it's a different, uh, different idea there. And then Paul's reason for, for why none of these arguments make any sense in the body of Christ is verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
There are two reminders from this, uh, from this passage what Paul is bringing up. <coughs> Excuse me. Firstly, our different positions in the body help the body function, right? And then secondly, God chose those differences. Let's unpack this a little bit. Our, differences, our different positions in the body help the body function. You have elders, you have deacons, you have the, the sisters who prep the snacks and the food for fellowship. You have the brothers who stack the chairs after service, hoping to impress a single girl, right? All of it is needed in the church to function. No one tested as single. No one was gifted with the gift of singleness in the, in the spiritual gifts inventory, so... Listen, if everyone had the, the position, the same position, the same function, the same gift, nothing would happen. Nothing would be accomplished. Trust me, I know, right? Like We're part of the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptists now, and there are these monthly gatherings with pastors, and whenever we're there, right, we're all pastors in the same room, and nothing gets done. We're just telling dad jokes and debating over scripture, and no, things get done. We're, we're not that bad, but... But the reality is every, the, the, the body of Christ has been composed in, of, of different giftings and people with unique backgrounds and experiences so that the body of Christ can, can function and fulfill the purposes of God. If the sentiment is, and, and again, this the sentiment that, that Paul is trying to communicate here in this passage is the sense of inferiority. I'm not good enough because I'm not this. Or I, I don't belong because of this situation, or because I, I'm not gifted like this brother or this sister. What what he, what what Paul is trying to do again is get them out of that mindset that hey, listen, it doesn't matter what your gifting is, it doesn't matter what your position is in this church, you still belong. You're still part of the body of Christ. And Paul uses this reasoning to to really push people out of this 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 mindset. In verse 18, let's just read it again. But as it is. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Listen, you have the position, you have the gifting, you have the, 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 where you, that ministry that you have in the body of Christ because God chose you for it. It means that he has a plan, he has a purpose for your position and your gifting in the body of Christ. It means that God will enable you, will equip you for his service in that position. It means that your, your position in the body of Christ is necessary. It's required by God for the functioning of his church. As we talked last week, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us in these, in these giftings. These gifts that enable us to serve so, so don't despise your gift that comes from God. Don't despise your position, your call that has, come, that, has, that has come from God. Don't belittle the work that God is trying to do through you. And, and really, that's where the, the inferiority complex comes from, is when all we see is our inability and we don't see God's ability to work through us. Remember King Saul? I'm, I'm reading through 1 Samuel in my, in my devotional times, and Remember King Saul and how he fell from being a king? And I love what Samuel says to him. The prophet Samuel says to him, he's like, you, he, he, he says, you are so little in your own eyes. Wow. 
Oftentimes, I think we have that same mentality in our insecurities, in our inferiority, when, when, when we start comparing ourselves to individuals in the body of Christ. We are so little in our own eyes. We don't see, we don't see that it is the big God who is working through our little giftings or our, our positions in this, in this body of Christ. Don't belittle the gift, the position that God has given you. It's necessary. In his sovereignty, God chose those differences to bring together a functioning body of believers that would bring him glory and the good of his people. So listen, be thankful, be, be thankful for that gifting, that position that you have. Because even in our, in, our, in our position, whatever it might be, regardless of whatever gifting we might have, it is still all from the grace of God. Whatever gift you have, whatever position you have in ministry, that is undeserved and it's unearned. You have to understand that. It's why we must steward it. The Apostle Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, bring, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In gratitude for these gifts, for our position in the family of God, we must steward these gifts. We must steward the position that we have in the family of God. Lastly, so we're thankful that we're thankful for the place we have in the family of God. We're thankful for the position that we have in the family of God. Last thing that we can be thankful for as we are reminded by Paul in our passage, be thankful for the purpose others have in the family of God, or the body of Christ, rather. Be thankful for the purpose others have in the body. Look at verse 21 with me. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see the contrast there, right? The first statements that Paul describes here. I'm not this, I'm not a, I'm not a hand, therefore I don't belong. There's an inferiority complex and, and they're, 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 it's someone who feels inferior less than other people in the body of Christ. Here now in verse 21, there's a superiority complex. There's a feeling that they're more superior than other parts of the body. Again, you're not this, therefore you don't belong. It's someone talking down to people now. So Paul trying to rewrite this, this skewed thinking, this way of thinking, says this, and I love this, verse 22. He says, on the, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our, our, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. I love this imagery that Paul, is, this truth that Paul is bringing out through how the, the body functions, the body of Christ functions. It's so interesting because it contrasts completely how the world functions where those with education and prestige, those who are at the top of an organization, those with wealth or power, with strength and status, they are deemed the ones with honor and who are essential and who are respected. But in God's kingdom, in his church, in his body, it's completely the opposite. 
It goes back to what Christ was talking about with his apostles, that the first shall be last and the last shall be the first. In God's economy, in his kingdom, Paul explains that, no, those who are seemingly more weaker than others are the ones that we honor the most. The ones who, the ones who are unpresentable are the ones that we want to present the most and celebrate the most. Completely different way of thinking than the world. And Paul explains why, continuing in verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is why God does, God does it this way, where it's a, a top-down mentality. It's, con, it's contradictory to the world and how they distribute honor. It's really, so again, as you said, there'd be no division, but also so that we would care for one another, intentionally care for one another, so that people would matter to us, that we would love one another. That's why we must be thankful for the purpose others have in the body of Christ, to be thankful for the giftings that others have in, in the body of Christ, and, and because God has, in, has intentionally designed it for the body to care for one another, to not see a, another brother or another sister higher than the other or lower than the other. We are to be a family that cares and loves one another. So listen, for those in, in leadership, because again, this is who Paul's talking about or talking to in this, in, this, in this portion of the passage here. For those who are in leadership, who are overseeing people, everyone that you oversee, over, you oversee matters. You must never look down on those who who you oversee. Rather, lift them up. Honor them. Honor them greater than yourself. That's why the style of leadership that Jesus presents to his disciples is that of servant leadership. If you recall, when he washes his disciples' feet, because despite him being the teacher, being the master, being the Messiah, he sought to honor them and to show them love by serving them. In the same way, if you, are in an, if you are a leader, if you are in a leadership position, and you only seek to benefit yourself, to honor yourself in your position, that's not leadership, not according to God's standards. That's a dictatorship. It's like the world. And it's not to, it's not to be in the, the body of Christ, in the family of God. Now, in addition to being thankful to, so in addition to being thankful for your, your place in the body of Christ, your position in the body of Christ, be thankful then for others and what they do in the church, whether big or small, however way they serve, whatever giftings they might have. So here's a challenge for us, church, on this great Thanksgiving weekend and as we have some, as we have some time to fellowship and eat together, break bread together after service. Let me challenge you, you brothers and sisters. Take the time to thank someone for their service and their gifting this day. Take the time to show some gratitude to your brother and sister who is serving you, who is ministering to you, who is, who is at your table for the, whatever part they do in the church. 
And, and, and listen, don't stop there at thanking them or showing gratitude, but also show genuine care. Again, as Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So suffer together. Rejoice together. It's not just about being, being it's not just about belonging to the church, but also letting others know that they too belong to the church. So thank somebody today as we fellowship and as we spend time together for Thanksgiving. Let them know that they belong. <coughs> Excuse me. So things that we can be thankful for in this Thanksgiving season. Be thankful for the place that you have in the body. In a moment's time, we're going to be participating in the Lord's table and communion and remember what was afforded, what, 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 what has afforded our place in the body of Christ. Remember what that means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and the unity that we have as a result of the Spirit. Be thankful for your position in the body, the position you have in the body. Excuse me. Remember that your gift, whatever it is, whatever place you serve in, is necessary and valuable in the, in the functioning of the local church, in the local body of Christ. And remember, the purpose, be thankful for the purpose that others have in the body. Honor one another. The Bible says, the only, in terms of the only competitive thing that we are to have in, in the church, in, in the body of believers, is outdoing one another in, in honor. So honor one another this day. Thank people. Show gratitude in, in how people are, in, <coughs> for those who are serving you. In just a moment here, we're about to partake in communion. But this Thanksgiving, let's, let's thank God for the grace of being part of his family. Because again, this is a greater thing, a greater blessing in our lives than, <coughs> excuse me, a greater blessing than, than the house we have, than the job that we have, the possessions that we have. This is a blessing that is not just for this life, but for all of eternity. And for those who are yet to be part of the body of Christ, who have yet to put their faith in Christ, we invite you to do so today. Because that's where it starts. Your entrance into the family of God, being part of the body of God, is by simply putting your faith in the finished work of God through Jesus Christ. Listen, God loves us, but in reality, in our sin, in our, in our, in our falling short, we did not love God. And so there's this great gap between our relationship with God that, and, and, and a desire to, to, to fix that relationship. Jesus came. He lived a life that we could not live. He died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. To give us hope and assurance that everything he did in his life, his payment on the cross, was in fact sufficient for us. And the Bible says that all we have to do in order to be part of that family of God, to, be, to, to have that, that, that gift of God through Jesus Christ is to simply believe. Have faith. 
what that looks like is simply, it's really just the act of throwing your hands in the air and saying, God, I cannot save myself. There's nothing I can do in this life to, to get me right with you, to repair that relationship. Only through Jesus Christ. Only through him. Putting your faith in Christ is simply saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just trusting in what you have done. That's it. Nothing else. And so we invite you, if, if, if you are looking to belong, if you're looking for a community to be a part of, a community that's not so superficial, that's not tied to anything worldly, but is tied to eternal truths, eternal values, we invite you to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of the family of God. And you do that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. We ask you to put your faith in him today. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.